Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I am your host, as always, Erin Pym. Here at the podcast, uh, usually I invite guests and performers from my stage show, Bedpost, that I do here in Toronto. Uh, but today, I have a very special guest outside of uh, my regular performing and pre- presenting crew at Bedpost, and uh, but very much so in the realm of sex and sexuality. Um, so I'm very excited um, because here at the podcast, I like to uh, just get into really in-depth conversations about sex and sexuality with my guests. So today, I'm super excited to announce, to welcome, to present, uh, <laughs> please welcome to the mic, Melina Lee Williams-Hoff. Yay! <laughs> I said all the names. Right. It's funny because I, um, when I was a kid, I realized when I was probably about three that all of my names had double letters in them, L L E E and and L L again, and so I thought this was so cool. And I said, if I ever get married, I have to marry someone Doubles. who has double letters in their name. And so my first four relationships, I was like, oh well, haha, it was just a crazy childhood thing. But it wasn't. But then, like decades later, I was like. <gasps> When he, when he sent me his name, I was like, oh my God, this is the one that my three-year-old self has been waiting for. <laughs> Do you believe in like, like cosmic, psychic? Once it happens, Ooh. I sort of like retcon the awesomeness. I'm like, of course I was psychic. That's exactly what that meant. It was meant. fate. Now I know fate exists. And of course we're talking about your lovely husband, Georg. Georg Friedrich Haas, yes. who has three names, too. Who else has three names? But doesn't have any other... Dub, no, Double, no, no. Yeah, no, just the Haas. No. Georg. <laughs> Two Gs? No. No, yes. just one. It's like George, but with no E at the end. Uh-huh. And he's Austrian. He is Austrian. Georg. Yeah. And so for the fans of The Sound of Music, they will recall that that was the name of the, the dude, right? <laughs> yes, of was course. Was Georg von Trapp. Yes. Which I didn't remember until someone else was like, oh my God, it's like The Sound of Music. Because do you know what country has never seen The Sound of Music en masse? Austria. Austria. <laughs> not only do they not want to see it, they hate it. Yeah. They think we're stupid. I'm sure. But they will still host as many Sound of Music tours as they can fill up. They're like, no, we'll take your money. Make your money. Yeah. Americans. Make your money on it. But. Dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And why, uh, why we mention your husband is because um, what we're here to talk about today is a documentary feature called The Artist and the Pervert that you and your husband are the subjects of this is correct are the stars <laughs> can you star in a documentary yes <laughs> if anybody that makes like every penguin in antarctica like a superstar a star. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm sure they feel like stars deep in their little penguin souls um and and this documentary focuses on your ms relationship yeah wow i know it's very something. It's it's something. Yeah. Now, I've heard, um, I was just doing a bit of research on you, and I had heard uh, you're a very well-known storyteller. So I've heard you at, like, Body Storytelling and the Risk Podcast. Anything I could get my hands on, you uh, basically telling kinky stories, pretty yeah. much, right? A lot, of them, a lot of them are kinky. I've done some on... Um, Porchlight and as well on uh, well, what's the other awesome NPR podcast? Oh, I'm a 
with Glenn Washington. Now I can't remember what it's called. I mean, you said the name. I'm uh, sure. Anyway, that's... so, I've been, I, so I, I have done storytelling that is also not involving sex and perversion. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people assume that once you start telling sex stories that you can't go back to telling non-sex stories. And I'm like, living proof. Now, people want to hear about all kinds of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially because once you have told people you're a pervert, they actually want to know about your childhood. Yeah, so about a your lot other my, shit. Yeah, so a lot of my stuff is actually you know childhood stuff. And I have a, a solo show or several solo shows that I've done over the years yeah. that involves sort of my... Dev- it started off with me going, I'm tired of telling people why I'm a pervert, so I'm just going to write a solo show. <laughs> And it's going to sort of be the arc of perversion, and I'll throw in some childhood shit, and then we'll be done. And they can all refer to that exactly. evermore. And like, go watch 69 <laughs> Stories, One Pervert's Tale. But what started happening was, that as I started doing it over the years, it would evolve because it was shit that wasn't relevant mm-hmm. anymore. I didn't necessarily need to spend 15 minutes talking about my first DS relationship, because mm-hmm. now I was on my third. Yes. And so there was more relevance to what was currently happening. Mm-hmm. Or I got information about my father at one point that really shifted my whole childhood. And your whole view. My I'm whole sure, view of, whole of my... trajectory. All of that. And so I started adding him more into the show. And then people were like, holy crap, your dad's amazing. And, and Snap Judgment, that was the other podcast I couldn't remember. Yes. And so the folks from Snap Judgment actually have me... Uh, talking about my recovery from alcoholism, which is its own thing. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, mentioned a story about my father who built a boat in our living room when we were living in the projects in Harlem. And people were like, uh, people I were need like, to what? know Why? what that's about. How can I <laughs> learn? So to me, storytelling was a really great way to de- demystify mm-hmm. the kink and BDSM thing. And yes. so people can say, hey... This is a person, not just some freak who has been fucked up. I can swear, right? Yes. That's okay. Some freak who's been fucked up by some horrible childhood because that's what people want to hear. That's what, yeah, that, that would satisfy them. Yeah. 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 But that and is so not I true. can tell people my childhood was, was, was out there. You know, I started acting and performing when I was five. So I did like film and television as like, you know, cute little black girl with the afro in the 70s. So I had that in there. But when they're sort of thirsting for the narrative of the your trauma. horrible trauma, I refer them to the my... Issues. Yes, I refer them to Georg. I'm like, he's got the trauma. <laughs> so yes, here you have the fulfillment of all of the worst possible aspects of that. And here you have me who uh, grew up certainly really poor, certainly with, with, with issues being black in the U.S. is not an easy way to be. Mm-hmm. However, there was no grim and terrible uh, trauma. There was no sexual abuse. There was none of that mm-hmm. for me. So I tried to present that as a balanced perspective. Mm-hmm. How did you, because uh, at one point you were kind of getting into the sex education track. I right? did that. I still do. Uh, yeah. Less often than I did, yeah. mostly because I realized that it can be a side gig. Yeah. But unless you are somehow so lucky fully employed um or you get a tv gig or something along those lines you cannot support yourself and i had been doing it for a couple of years full time after having worked at a desk job i can say but it was still for you know um uh, uh, the company that runs alt.com, bondage.com, adult friend finder. Yes. So basically my job was looking Finding. at, looking at, at, at penises all day and like posting the best one and writing all this content and writing all these blurbs for all these different dating websites. Yeah. And I made enough money to say, okay, I'm going to strike out and really, really try sex education as a career. And it was just unsustainable. I was working my ass off mm. and literally going all over the world and 
still slowly watching my savings yeah, slowly, shrink. Yeah, slowly digging into yeah, that retirement yeah, Further and further. Yeah. And I realized as I looked around that all the people who I had been observing uh, to be successful at this, each of them had a partner who had a quote-unquote muggle job, right? Mm-hmm. So you had the person whose partner was uh, an engineer. You had the person whose partner was a lawyer. You had a person whose partner was a very successful um, uh, a teacher um, at a university. Mm-hmm. So everyone had someone grounding them financially. financially. And I did not have that. And I said I was at a severe disadvantage, and I realized it rather than it feeling like some sort of failure on my part, that my hustle was not strong enough. No. And I'm going, I don't know how much stronger it could be. I'm, I'm working everywhere. I'm getting invited everywhere, but I'm getting paid like $1,000 here or 500 bucks there. That's not sufficient. Yeah, like so, once a week. Yeah, so yeah. once I uh, started being in service to my partner slash owner, mm-hmm. that was no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was it became a leisure activity. So if it was an event I really loved, then I would certainly go. And so now I'm down to maybe like five or six events a year, mm-hmm. which mostly I go to because my partner has not had the opportunity to do this because he came into Kink and SM later. Right? Later, He was 16 when he finally said, this is what I want to do and acknowledge it. So now he's like, kid in a candy store, give me all the sex. <laughs> he's in the prime of his kink yes. life right and now. And I'm like, oh. And you're so like, tired. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do you understand how much logistical effort goes into a gangbang, sir? You have no idea. <laughs> the organization it's, of it all. So it's it's a thing that needs to be managed. So yes. So so much of it's my like focus is it is. It's like matchmaking. It's like it's like hugging and reassuring, especially if you're dealing with cisgender men. You have to deal with all their know, insecurities. Holy crap. <laughs> The one gangbang I did organize, like, I actually have to, I think I told the story once, I wound up spending about half the time reassuring everyone that the fact that their penises were not Uh. porn star rampant for the Uh. entire evening was actually not only fine, but natural and normal. And I'm thinking, oh, no one tells you about this part and, of the and not, sex party. And not only that, but it's it's nice because it's like, oh, it's relatable. Yeah. Oh, we're all humans yeah, here. Yeah, like, yeah. it's a good thing. <laughs> it's not only not a bad thing. It's great because we're all humans and look at us relating and connecting <laughs> in a person-to-person experience. Like, yes. <laughs> so was all your um, sex education stuff in kink? Like, did you, was it mostly kink-based? Mostly. A lot of it was kink-based. A lot of it was relationship-based. A lot of it was consent-based. Mm, Starting yes. probably in the, um, probably about like 15 years or so ago, you started seeing colleges and universities hosting sex weeks. Mm. And so they would have a sex ed week and they would invite speakers from all over and have various discussions on various topics. And then the pervert kids are like, we want SM in here. Yeah. And Where's my people? Exactly. And what was fascinating was that the more we started talking about negotiation and consent, the more relevant that became to especially Everyone. people on college campuses who are newly exploring their sexuality with the insane instance of sexual assault. Um, those conversations became even more important so we could let people know 
that boundaries are not just okay, but they're enforceable. Mm -hmm. And while sexual assault is never your fault, here are some things you can maybe do to empower yourself mm -hmm. so that going in, you are feeling less intimidated and less scared. And then maybe the, the, the situation won't, won't um, get to the point where you are in a bad, in a bad place. So mm -hmm. active negotiation doesn't mm -hmm. cure anything, but it can put you in a better place emotionally and personally. And so people were taking that lesson from BDSM and I'm applying, applying it, it to their non-kink lives. Amazing. And that was amazing to me because, of course, these are younger folks, so they get it immediately. Yeah. I don't have to sit there and lead them through it. Mm -hmm. Handhold them. Exactly. Yeah, and so yeah. they there, were like, wait a second, this is my whole life. I can use this everywhere. Yeah, there are so many valuable lessons that people, that the muggles can learn yeah. about from kink dynamics, from kink relationships. Exactly. Because, it, it, because they engage in types of quote-unquote risky behavior. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it's always been very necessary mm -hmm. to be very explicit in your negotiation and your communication right, right. Um, but for because other people don't engage in quote unquote risky behavior emotionally physically uh, mentally what have you that they for whatever reason don't feel it necessary to have like no. all this very important communication but it's it's funny because each and every person I've spoken to offhand like every non-kink identified person, I like to use that term instead of vanilla, even though it's a mouthful because vanilla has become so pejorative. Yeah. I think people sort of even as, oh, vanilla sex, whatever. I'm like, look, first of all, vanilla is the second most expensive spice in the world <laughs> after saffron. That's yeah. it. B, it's very <laughs> complex and delicious flavor. Yes, very. When I judge ice cream, I'm always like, try the vanilla first. Like if I get a new brand, I'm like, nice. give me your vanilla. Yeah. Because if it just tastes like bullshit, I'm like, the rest of your shit's going to be crap. Yeah. I know. If you can get Vanilla's me a good... base. It is. Uh, <laughs> creme brulee with like when you see the little oh, beans at the bottom. Oh. So what was I saying? I got distracted by the creme brulee. <laughs> you used the word non-kink identified. Yes. And so what was happening in conversations I was having with those folks is that when I would describe kink negotiations, when I first came out and I was like, I'm a pervert, oh my God, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And people would ask me what that meant and I would say, well, you know, we do freaky sex stuff and you have to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. And if you say to someone, like beforehand. look, yeah, yeah. on the first date, yeah. you're saying, hi, this is how I like it, this is the position I like it, this is how I want you to touch me, yeah. this is how I don't want you to touch me, mm -hmm. this is where I see this relationship going. Mm -hmm. This is what I do and don't want. This is what I'm open for. So I'm looking for a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, and someone to have sex with, but not penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. And if the other person's like, nah, I really need to put my bits inside your bits, then you yeah, say, great, okay, great, no harm, on. no fall, moving on. The idea of having that conversation in a Starbucks on a okay Cupid date, people's jaw falls open, yeah. fall open. And you're thinking, never, never. Why don't we they? do that? Why is that so terrifying? Why do we leave that? To the, to the quote unquote discovery process. To me, the discovery process is discovering the person, mm -hmm. but there's some base goals you need to set uh, going in. Mm -hmm. And one of the last relationships that I had with someone who was not in the scene was a wonderful person because he was kinky and that was really great, but he didn't name Identify. it as such, even though he was like one of the top five freaks I've ever hooked up with. Yeah. I was like, dude, you are fucking nuts in the thing but, but he considered himself yeah he was like oh this is just how i am and i appreciated that because it didn't impact m our relationship but because we dated in the quote-unquote standard way mm -hmm. i didn't do those things and so a year and a half two years into the relationship he's buying a house he's doing these nesting things and i'm saying hey am i a part of this 
is our relationship going to shift now that you're moving in this direction and I don't know where I'm standing with you? Mm-hmm. And his response was, well, I don't see why anything needs to change. Everything's fine how it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, I'm coming over and spending the night at your house two or three, four or five times a week, but I'm still paying rent on a house. So from a financial situation, this is not, yeah. you know, and, and I said, at some point, I think I'd like to have kids. He's like, whoa, you never said anything about having kids. And it's like, okay, we should have talked. And I was like, holy yeah. crap, why didn't I do that? But the thing is that if you say to most vanilla people, we started having that conversation about a year into our relationship, their hair would not stand yeah, on Yeah, they're, they're like, that's about right. Yeah, they yeah. would say, okay, now that you've established the thing and the stuff. And perverts are like, you fucked you up. You idiot. <laughs> And I'm like, mea culpa, I did, I fucked up. I got sucked back into the default world bullshit. Yeah, that default culture, dating culture. And I was like, oh my Dang. God, that sucked. That yeah. sucked. So this was my lesson, you know, as I as I move into my life and people ask me for advice, because now I'm the, the old married lady. I'm like, <laughs> talk about your shit. Old married kinky lady. I don't care how scary it is to you. Yeah. Just try. If you're really afraid try. that they're going to run away, let them fucking run. Yeah. Seriously, go. Get out. Yeah, we're leave. not saying it's not hard. No. But, like, make the effort. Oh, make the effort. Because you have it's, to. Because it's important, and it's going to just make your relationships better. Yeah. And easier, really. Like, I know it seems hard right off the bat, but it's like, oh, once you talk about all this, it is like... Woo, great. Yeah. Now we can play. Exactly. Now we can connect. Now we, you know, and if you ask someone, if you say, would you rather have this conversation now? Or would you rather have this conversation after you have co-mingled your pots and pans? <laughs> like, at what point is a good time? Yeah, when you're silverware. <laughs> when you're like, is this or... my fork or yours? I think this is mine. <laughs> yeah, and, and not only that, but like on a um, day-to-day basis, like when you're going to play, when you're going to have a scene, Mm. as kinky people can sometimes call it, or you're going to have sex with somebody, to have it like, how am I feeling on the day? What are the things we are going to do today? You know, all the things we had talked about over the weekend, are those all still true today? You know, I'm thinking of doing all these things to you. What do you think about that? Anything you'd like to put in there? Like day of, you're doing that. Yeah. And that's like unheard of for two people that are not in kink dynamics. No, no. Uh, they before they have sex, it. they would never be having that conversation on the day about what type of sex or play is going to be happening. When they see there's this pressure, it's supposed to just spontaneously happen. And in as much as people like to think we aren't influenced by movies, television, and books, we are. Yes. The idea that you should just kiss someone and suddenly you, your hands know where to go mm-hmm. or how long to stay there is absurd. Yeah. The mood. Like. <laughs> How many people don't even know how to get themselves off? And the numbers are scary. And so you're going to trust that to someone else? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just, the science on it. Here are my organs. Please, I don't know how to work them, but clearly you... Maybe you do. (laughs) Let's figure it out together. Because, let's mention your book. Playing oh. well with others. Playing well with others. It's, so this is kind of about what we're talking about yeah. a, a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, co-authored with myself and Lee Harrington. Mm-hmm. And it was because while there were many books on how to do stuff, mm-hmm. here's a rope bondage book. Here is a book on how to do um, spanking. Or, here's yeah. a flogging. Here's There's a bunch of those. However, there was nothing that talked to you about how you got into the scene itself. 
if you were curious about kink and BDSM, how could you explore it in a way that was safe um, and minimizing risk and all those things? Yeah. And so we chose to write that since between the two of us, we had decades of experience mm -hmm. in the scene. And Lee is openly trans. And so he had experience being in the scene, not just as a, as a female presenting person, but also transitioning. And so we had several different sexual minorities and perspectives covered. And... I like to think we did a pretty good job. We didn't get soundly attacked by any one person or group in the international community, which never happens. Yeah. Anything you say, someone's coming for you. Yes. So the fact that people were like, uh, this seems to have some good shit in it. Yeah. You know, sort of un university. Everybody was, had a takeaway. Yes. That's great. And that was really helpful. And that was great for me. The feedback that I got from people in the scene was that they were able to hand a new person Love it. this title Here, and say, here's the book, start here, read the book. And then you can ask in more intelligent questions because more informed, yes, from a more informed yes, place. It, it gives you some research, something to start with. And so I'm very, very happy that that's out there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a book. That Especially people like, just I, I was glad other. that it was done and out before 50 shades of gray hit the world oh, in, yeah. in a big way, because now we can say, okay, that's great. But however, stalking is not foreplay. Yeah, yeah. That's great for like an entertainment-y... Uh, it's it, not it, even good entertainment. Thing. Yeah, it's that's not even good. so terrible. <laughs> but you know well, this, like here's, know this. Here's know some this. good information. Here's some actual real it. information from people who actually do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Love it. Okay, let, we're going to take a very quick break. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to talk all about documentary stuff. Yay. We're going to talk about the artist and the pervert. We'll be right back with Melina. tell you a little bit about our sponsors for this episode. Our first sponsor is Oasis Aqua Lounge, a sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. It is a body positive environment and they are shame and judgment free when it comes to pleasure and play. They're an inclusive and diverse venue welcoming of all sexual orientations and gender identities. It's also a community hub for all sex positive folks, educators, entertainments, and businesses. So thank you so much to Oasis Aqua Lounge for sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor is Come As You Are. Come As You Are is an amazing sex shop that is founded here in Toronto and it is located at comeasyouare.com. Come As You Are is a trans-owned, trans-operated, feminist, anti-capitalist sex shop that wants to give you the best products at the lowest price possible. And they're going to prove that to you by offering a 15% discount when you check out at comeasyouare.com using the coupon code BEDPOST. That's B-E-D-P-O-S-T when you visit comeasyouare.com. And our third sponsor for this episode is Unicorn Collaborators. Unicorn Collaborators is a business that has been running here in Toronto for about five years by two queer unicorns. They mostly make leather goods and they make everything from collars to cuffs to thigh harnesses to boot harnesses to the regular pelvis strap-on harnesses that you've come to know and love. Unicorn Collaborators is a body positive brand, which means that they make products for all body types. And if they don't have something in your size, they're happy to make a custom piece just for you. 
Give them an email at unicorncollaborators at gmail.com. Follow them on social media or DM them for inquiries. Again, I'd love to thank my three sponsors, Oasis Aqua Lounge, Come As You Are, and Unicorn Collaborators. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode. Everyone, we are back with Melina Lee Williams Haas. Yes. Hello. Yes. All Thumbs the up. names. All the names. And we're. Uh, let's. So- I appreciate that you sing while you're talking too, because I do that, and I'm so self-conscious about it. Because someone pointed it out to me like 20 realize. years ago, and I was like, oh, "Is that weird? Is that a thing? <laughs> Is that a thing? Does uh, everyone sing when they talk?" I'm like, "Yes. Yes." <laughs> <laughs> Switch the let's shift the convo over to this documentary. So the artist and the pervert is a documentary about you. Yeah. What? <laughs> this is okay. So what had happened was <laughs> what <had> happened was <laughs> my husband slash owner is a famous composer dude. Yes. And in the contemporary music scene, so in his world, he's like a mega god, and outside of his world, everyone's like, ooh. Who now? Is that? Yeah. So but he's a very public uh, composer. He's got a public, yeah. He's got a, a public, public life, and that's and life. that's his thing. Yeah. And so when he and I first started seeing each other, mm-hmm. he was at the tail end of a of, a, of his third marriage, mm-hmm. and so wanted to keep things a little calm and cool. And he had just moved to New York from I think his last position was in was in Switzerland or in Germany, wherever the hell. And so he was sort of tiptoeing into kink and BDSM because it was something he'd always craved and always wanted, but was too afraid to pursue that because it was wrong and dirty and bad. Mm. And so here and, he was. And also he had this public per- persona, yeah. Yeah. so I'm sure that factored, that all factored into it. And so here he was, 60 years old, moving to New York City with this new position and said, you know what? fuck it, I, this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to try to pursue. At 60. At 60. Amazing. And so he literally put a profile on OkCupid and okay, started, <laughs> started looking for partners and had a couple of dates and had been seeing someone briefly and then sent me the infamous email and I read it and was like, oh, he did really well, actually, as a professional website analyzer of right. all yes, you dating that spent years doing this I was like there's criteria there's good and bad ways to do this I could teach a whole class to people oh, on how to write a good profile and what to look for when you're scanning profiles and a great opening message because yes. it wasn't his opening message his opening message was impressive. terrific and it demonstrated that he had read my entire profile. Mm-hmm. He pulled a couple of quotes from it to, 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 that, that had stimulated his mind. Yep. And he was like, oh, when you said this, I really felt that. And I was like, oh, good, good. good. You're, you're relating back to, to my own stuff. So you're bringing me into your conversation before we've even met. That's really great. And then told a, a, enough about himself to pique my interest and, and things that related and, and displayed some humor and all of that. Uh, but he did not have any photos in his profile. And he said, well, because of my public, st- public persona, I'm, I'm keeping it a little bit low-key for now. Uh, but I can send you some photos if, if you'd like. So I'm like, okay, I would be curious. Just I'm not going to be so uh, disingenuous as to say, I don't care what you look like. 
but I need to know that there's some degree of attraction somewhere on that spectrum. So within 10 minutes, he sends me back three of the worst selfies (laughs) I've seen in my life. They were so bad. It was like low angle, weird lighting, not smiling. Double chin. Like everything bad. And I was like, oh my God, if this dude has the guts to send me these pictures when he's trying to like get in my pants, I was like, okay, let's do this. He was so excited. He just took them and sent them. Yeah. He was like, I was so nervous. This is what he told me later. I was like, I was very nervous. I didn't know. He's like, I, uh. So he just, yeah, he did. He took them and sent them. And so I was like, okay, he looks, he looks like an Austrian professor of music. Like, that's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. Fine, great. You know, um, a little, a little, a little dorky, but that's my thing. I like a little dorky. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. And so our first date basically was, hi, nice to meet you. Jumping into bed, crazy, like hours of sex. And I was like, well, this is fun, but I'm not sure that this is necessarily going to lead to the a long-term a long-term thing and then our second date he's like here's a sample contract for a master slave relationship okay King and Ruby. i was like you don't do that and then he puts it out on the table and he's talking about health care he's talking about providing fi- you with health yes he's talking about like financial support he's talking about time management and you just don't see that from someone who where did he know how to do that he thought about it. He figured out. He's like, if I am basically making you my slave, then I have to support you in order to allow you to do the job I'm asking you to do. Wow. So he's done his research. Correct. Yeah. And so this was delightful to me because I said, wow, not only have you figured this out, but you didn't start with the typical shit like you will not wear underpants. You will kneel when you enter this house, right. which is the standard crap that people think of when they think of a master-slave relationship. You know, uh, when are you allowed to wear panties versus, uh, for example, I want to make sure that you keep our house in, in order. I don't really care how you do that, but I'll certainly provide you with the financial means to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, great, I'm hiring someone to come clean the house. I'm not going to scrub the toilet. I hate that. Yeah. And so he's like, great, that's right. how it's going to be. Versus so many of my other relationships where they fetishize making me do this drudgery. Yes. And the service sub. Yes, yes, yes. And the thing is that to me, for for him, my service was being present, Mm -hmm. providing him with company because a lot of what you're doing when you're composing is very lonely and he just needs that sort of psychic anchor outside of the dark depths of his art and whatever, whatever. Yes. Um, And knowing that I was also an artist and a creative person as well, he didn't have to explain and justify his existence and tap dance around that. Mm-hmm. I completely got that. Yeah. And as we started traveling and as he started working, he was shocked because this had not been the case with any of his other partners, how I could walk backstage at the uh, London Opera and deal with the tech people and deal with the orchestra people and deal with the PR people and just had all that going on. Yes. And his management people and his friends, people who'd known him for years, a couple who'd known him since he was very young, this one couple who are delightful and wonderful, when we first met, said to me, we have never seen Georg happy. Mm. And what you are doing for him is amazing. Mm. And so I was just like, thank you, best service ever. You know, and Pink so is romantic. <laughs> it is. And I and I, my hope is and I think people are getting it because the feedback that we've gotten from so many people is, wait a second, this is just like a love story. Yes, it's a love story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Shh, don't spoil <laughs> don't <tell> anyone. Because <laughs> you want people to come in expecting to see like two middle aged fat people like wallowing around in like some sort of greasy <laughs> nightmare of perverted debauchery. <laughs> But it's a love story. It is. And and to me, that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. 
And it's very important to me in all of my relationships that love is present in some way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be romantic love. Uh, but I love all my friends and I have a very deep connection yeah, with people. There are a lot of levels of love. There's so of many like different flavors. of affection. Of, you know, yeah. I have I've had entire uh, kink and BDSM relationships with folks so that I've never even seen them naked. Yeah. And yeah. we have had incredibly deep connection yeah. and and profound sexual energy and all of that that doesn't have to do with what the default world considers to be sex yes and so i hope that people can see that here and people can understand that when i am making him breakfast mm-hmm. when i am packing his bags when i'm dealing with our travel schedule all those things are are service for me and it has a, an emotional erotic and spiritual charge that is important for maintaining this lifestyle because mm-hmm. it's exhausting as well yeah you know yes Yes, can be. <laughs> For both the, the master and the slave, or mm-hmm. the dominant and the sub. Like, yeah. you, you both should be putting in the equal amount of work, right? right? Yeah. Like, a lot of people might think that the, the, it's the sub or the bottom uh, who is kind of just doing all the tasks and doing all the things, and the masters or the dominant is, or the top is standing there kind of doing nothing. And it's like, no. No, you have to provide a great deal of emotional support. Yes. And in our case, he has to provide financial support, so he's got to certainly keep the money coming in in order to make sure that the bills are paid and everything else, because that's his part of the of the bargain. Yeah, and also just uh, being present. Yeah, Um, being present is asking a lot of a person. Like for me, when I kind of think of myself of being a top or Mm -hmm. a dom or what have you, um, I'm like, oh, I just want to that's so against my nature (laughs) that it's like so hard for me to fathom i'm like (laughs) oh doms just like femdoms and any gender doms like i'm I'm just so in awe and so grateful to them for existing (laughs) because to me i'm like that would be the hardest thing in the fucking world for me to have to be so present and so there for another person like i just it, it blows my mind. It yeah. boggles my mind. It is. So like, and and the, the when it works is when you are dealing with a, a power dynamic where if the presence and if the focus of the dominant slips and it's not working, mm-hmm. they have provided their submissive, their slave, their property, whatever the term you want to use, yep. with the capacity to wave the white flag and say, we have a problem. We need to check in with yep. that. And this is, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now because Garrig and I are like having a stressful period and, and I had to like separated. put the you're you know separated. I had to put the brakes on and say I'm having a hard time and I see you're also having a hard time so we're both having a hard time at the same time but I need you to step up your game right now mm-hmm. and the, that's what I need from you correct. as a, my dom a, as my absolutely sir. correct mm-hmm. and what's interesting is that on some level because of his history and his background he's coming through so many relationships and like a lot of people, I think, wanted to blame the other person mm-hmm. and say, well, this marriage didn't work out because they didn't trust me, because they cheated on me, because they, you know, whatever else. It's all these mm-hmm. list of reasons why people will give our relationships did not work. Mm-hmm. And so him having to take that responsibility, for me, it's to me to stop and say, actually, this is you. <laughs> actually, though. <laughs> Let me, I'm going to be real. Let me give it to you right now. <laughs> And to watch him over the past four plus years that we've been together go from super resistant to that to taking a deep breath and still having that moment of, uh, uh, I want it to be someone else's fault. Yeah, stubbornness, stubbornness. (laughs) (laughs) 
But what's remarkable about our relationship is that ultimately I know that what he wants is for us to stay together, be together and be happy. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm unhappy, even though he might just be like, I want to snap my fingers and make you happy again. And I have to say, okay, sir, that's actually not going to happen. More to it than that. And, and so we are going to need to sit in this unhappiness for a bit mm-hmm. and acknowledge it and be okay with it. And so part of my service to him has also been uh, being super honest, even when it sucks. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing I had never done in any previous non-kink relationship because I was always afraid that if I really asked the questions and spoke the truth, the relationship would be over and fall apart because I'd seen that happen. Yeah. In retrospect... How can you go back once yeah. you've you know said it's broken? Yeah, and what? in retrospect, thank God, because those relationships needed to be done. And- <laughs> but I was, I was still... When, when I was in my 20s and my relationships would fall apart, I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't have asked that question because then we'd still be together. Yeah. As opposed to now where I'm like, oh, woo, thank God. <laughs> I ask that now because I saved myself plenty of time time, and heartbreak. How much time? Yeah. And my, we actually even have in the documentary one of those moments where he's being super emo about the election of Herdemort, which is how I refer to him. (laughs) Herdemort. Yes. (laughs) The hair that shall not be named. (laughs) And he's get he he had a piece that was overdue. He had another piece in the pipeline. He's perpetually got these commissions that he's working or rehearsing for the show that he and I produced together. And he's like, I cannot work. You know, I've left Austria to try to escape the creep of fascism. And now it's coming to America. And I was like, excuse me, white man, pardon me, Caucasian. <laughs> Let me just Welcome to how the entire quick. world has been living forever. Mm-hmm. We are perpetually afraid of our government. Mm-hmm. It has been designed to kill us. Mm-hmm. You cannot talk to me as as the descendant of of chattel, non consensual, dehumanized slaves, and say to me that you're worried about this presidency. Yeah. Either the country will survive or it won't. I said, but this has been the reality forever, forever. So stop. Yeah. Check your privilege. Yeah, and and move the fuck on. <laughs> what can you do about it right now? Nothing yeah. about the election. You can donate to these guys. So I will give you some action plans for stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, Southern Poverty Law Center is a great place to donate some money. Yeah. Here's who they are. Here's what they do. Write a check to Black Lives Matter. Here's yeah. what we're going to do. And, and, and he's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. And sort of came out of it. And I'm rolling my eyes because I'm just, just like, like oh. <laughs> But I feel like, you know, this is part of my service to the world is that I can like keep, I got one white guy I'm keeping awake. (laughs) I'm like, I got one y'all. I'm keeping him woke. I was like, I love it. The fantastic thing is that unlike most people with the privilege and everything else, he stands down immediately. Yeah. He's like, you are right. I don't know. Thank you for taking the time to explain this Mm -hmm. each and every time. And that is very interesting, um, especially when you consider your dynamic. From the outside, people may not realize that an MS or a DS relationship can mean Mm -hmm. the sub, can mean you saying, you know, being very forceful, telling him to do things, telling him what he has to do, telling him what you need and what's going on and what's not working right now. Like a lot of people may think that that's not something that a sub can do or it's not if that's not what they want to do yeah, or what the Dom needs. Right. It's, it's the example that I use 
is if you walk into a restaurant and you see a couple sitting at the table and one person is cutting up and feeding the other person their meal. Yeah, who do you assume? Who is the top? Yes. Is it the person who is relaxing and being fed or is it the person who is doing the portion controlling? Yes. And in either it's so way, nuanced. it's the yes. intention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so in our relationship, my intention is to have to be the one who is creating this world that supports his art and supports who he is. Yeah, that's your service. That's my to service. Him. And what has happened, and this is this is what you also see in the meta of the documentary, mm -hmm. is that my supporting his art led us to the place where we are producing art together. Mm -hmm. Which is why the title is so like, ooh, who is which? It's like, yes, yeah, right. you figured it out. Because both of us are. Yes. And what was remarkable is that when we first started our relationship, people would say to me, like, well, you, when are you going to do your stuff? You, you literally have no time to rehearse or, or perform in a show. Mm -hmm. You're running around too much. How, what, what are you going to do with your, with your art? Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I have no idea. And there was a point after the first year or so where I was feeling like maybe I was losing that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, in the sort of more woo spiritual kind of thing, mm -hmm. the universe has provided for me in the past. I've made lots of leaps that seemed crazy to other people. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I trust that this will come full circle. Mm -hmm. And about the second year of our relationship, I was telling him about my... Um, my, my experiences in rehab and what that was like. Mm -hmm. And I had done a storytelling piece about that. Mm -hmm. And he said, this would make an amazing piece of, uh, this would make an amazing work. He said, I should write music for this. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you can tell the story with the music. Ugh. And I was like, well, the uh, spoken word has a long tradition of having people do improv music alongside it. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't really familiar with that. So I said, this has a precedent so you have an in, so you can sort of sell it that way mm -hmm. uh, to people who are who are maybe sort of going to be skeptical of the famous composer bringing his wife in to do whatever. Because, <laughs> of course, you can see how disastrous that is so often when people are like, my wife is a great sitar player. And suddenly, <laughs> like, she's just like, ding, ding, ding. And suddenly there's this nightmare on stage and you're like, oh, oh no. You know, like blind. the ultimate like John Lennon, Yoko Ono moment oh. where, you know, people are like, and she's actually a really cool artist, but people didn't get what she they was doing no. at all. And no. so it just looked like you had this great, fantastic, you know, Musician. evil, terrible wife-beating scumbag but let's yeah. gloss over that for now um and so there was some hesitation i think on his part to say how are we going to approach this yeah and so i said to people i said to him tell people who i am i said if you're pitching this to an arts organization or to someone who might uh, uh produce this piece send them links to the storytelling I've done yes. and say, we're just going to do this and we're going to take the traditional guy with a sax and spoken <laughs> word artist thing and now it's girl with an orchestra. Wow. And not only did it work, it we did it in Austria, we did it in New York, we've done it in England, wow. and now we're doing it this summer in um, Amsterdam and again in Austria. And the response has been really great for a piece that's only sort of been on the market for a year to have had five, six performances in the pipeline is really great. Yeah. And I'm really excited about it because it has now opened the door a little bit further to he and I doing more collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we spend 90% of our time together is now expanding into the fact that part of my service to him is providing him with artistic 
food. Yes. And I'm able to actually also do my art and do shit that I never thought I would ever do. I'm working right now on a libretto for an opera. Wow. Which, you know, I'm fucking like a kid from the projects. Now I'm like, I'm just going to write this opera. It's going to be great. (laughs) No big deal. You know, for this guy. And it's totally going to be done because people love his shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then I take a step back and I'm like, who would have thought that that would be the result of my submission, not just to him, but also to us. Yeah. And this is the thing that people, I hope people get is that, the MS dynamic is about what we need. Mm-hmm. It's not just about what he needs. It's also yes. about what I need and what I get from it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's very give and take. It's working both ways yeah. constantly yeah. in every facet of your relationship. Give and take, give and yeah. take, give and take. Yeah. Just because it has a quote unquote power dynamic to it doesn't in any way mean that it is one-sided no it's which is why the fact that the word dynamic is in there a dynamic Mm -hmm. is not about a pouring of one stream into the other yeah you know it's not a power coup d'etat it's a power exchange (laughs) it's not a power waterfall (laughs) (laughs) exchange yes you have to give something to get something you have to have in order to give in order for someone to take power there has to be power present yes and in order and power for power freely given. Correct. Yes. Because otherwise it is immediately abusive if someone is taking mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's abusive if someone has nothing to give, if someone is depleted, if someone is is feeling at a place in their life where they're damaged mm-hmm. um, and they need to be repaired and they need to work on themselves. If someone then says, yes, I'm going to come in and fix you now because you are this submissive and I'm going to... It's like, no, that's not how humans work. Yeah. You have to have something there to work with. And, and that's... That's a vital aspect of this, and I, I hope that folks will see that when they watch the documentary. Amazing. Hopefully. I'm sure they will <laughs> as well, and I can't freaking wait to see it. Because this, this, if anything this conversation has done for me, it's just made me really, really excited <laughs> about seeing this film. <laughs> so, Molina, are you able, we're basically at time, are you able to tell us uh, where exactly, when exactly we can see The Artist and the Pervert and also, you know, uh, some other things you've got going on? What's coming up for you? Yeah, well, The Artist and the Pervert is part of the Hot Docs Festival in Toronto. Or Toronto. I noticed that the Toronto. Locals, I know. <laughs> I was like, something happened to a syllable. It's Toronto. Like, it's like how people pronounce Florida. Where I was like, Florida had three syllables until you get down there. And then it's like Florida. Florida. <laughs> Florida. <laughs> One thing. Um, In Toronto. And yep. so it's, yes. Okay. So I did pick up on that. It's like, what? I'm not I'm not sure where it's going to be after this this is the thing about the 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 new documentary is that what they want Mm -hmm. is for a distributor to say we love this and now we're going to make sure it gets on Netflix and on the Sundance channel and it's everywhere everyone can see it so fingers crossed for that to happen soon yeah that's your next yes and I will definitely um if you are interested in in what's happening with it you can always come to my blog which I am resurrecting from sleep Uh, (laughs) it's just Molina.com, M-O-L-L-E-N-A.com. And I'm starting to use it again because so much of my brain was focused on on, on my life. And I was yeah. like, wait, I should, blog. I have stuff going on now. I need to, I need to blog. Yeah. And, and we're also performing our, our show, uh, Hyena, in um, Amsterdam on June 13th. And then in Graz in Austria on wow. June 20th, which is also my birthday. So best birthday present ever. Oh, wow. Exciting. I get to perform my show. Amazing. 
And we are definitely looking forward to, in the next couple of years, producing our own opera together, which is going to oh, be so rad. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and of course, we will put all of your social media and whatnot yes. all in the show notes. Linky we'll give things. You all the linky things uh, over yeah. in the show notes. Um, but uh, I just want to thank you so much for thank speaking you. with me today. Was there anything else that we left out that oh, was glaringly obvious? Oh, I should, I should plug, because I'm so bad at this, but I'm actually starting to teach um, in... Okay, let me rewind. I'm starting to present intensives. Yes. Uh, I don't like to say teach because then I feel like people feel like they're sitting there and they're like, I will not learn a thing. Yes. And rather than I'm saying, I'm presenting an intensive space in which people can learn about and explore and and interact with uh, uh, DS and MS relationships. Great. And the first one's going to be the last weekend in um, June uh, in London, actually. Amazing which I'm super excited about. And then I hope to take it and replicate it in different places. Mm-hmm. Of course, when I mention I'm doing this, everyone all over the world is like, come to Ireland, come to Sweden, come to wherever. I'm like, pay me <laughs> the money and I will come. And I'll be wherever I'll go anywhere. you want. That's super great. I just need to. So I'm starting to, to branch out into that because I've seen so many people who want that energy in their lives mm-hmm. and they're not sure how to manifest it or how to get it. Great. And I think that, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm doing it alive in front of you right now. Amazing. So if you'd like to spend resource. a weekend hanging out and talking to me about it, exploring your own stuff and hearing the many lessons I have picked yes. up over the past 20 years. <laughs> Here's 18 things to never, ever fucking do because <laughs> I did them and fell straight on my face. Oh, you know, amazing. so yeah, it's a I'm lot sure about that. That would be an amazing resource for people. I can't, can't wait to see all the things that are coming up for you. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, I will do my outro, outro actually on post, so I'm not wasting your time. But uh, I just want to thank you so much, thank Melina, you. for coming in. Everybody, the artist and the pervert, let's see these four names. Melina Lee Williams Haas. You're amazing. Yes, I did it. <laughs> Oh my god. And thank you for everyone for <laughs> listening and watching. Love you all. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Bedpost podcast. If you are listening to us on iTunes or another podcasting app, if you could rate and review the podcast, that would be oh so helpful to me and my business, Bedpost. If you are watching us on YouTube, likewise, if you just hit that subscribe button, that would be just oh so lovely. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at thebedpostsexshow at gmail.com. Also, you can follow me on social media under Bedpost. My favorite social media right now is Instagram, and I'm at thebedpostsexshow. I want to give a huge thank you to the Sonar Podcasting Network and Eggplant Media. If you're listening to us in the audio format, you're going to be hearing original music by Stephanie Copeland, who can be reached at her website, stephcopelandmusic.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!